0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Colum Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over. The NFL season is here and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRadio2021 at checkout. Or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
2: Breaks the tackle, watch out! Burst of speed! Look at this freshman! Welcome to the home of professional football, Canton, Ohio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Stéphane LeCoe, and you can find me on Twitter at Stéphane Laco. Of course, the co-host, the founder himself, Travis May, can be found on Twitter at FF underscore. Travis M. If you are joining us for the very first time, College to Can is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from being a football recruit all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of course, we always dive into some fantasy football since this is a Rotoviz radio podcast, but we try to make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. We are off and running this year. We just finished up week one of college football with some pretty crazy outcomes. UNC Tar Heels broke my heart. Notre Dame giving up those that 18-point lead going to overtime crushed me as well, but I'm going to recover. Looking forward to week one of the NFL, which starts, well, let's see. It started last night, but for me, uh, it is Thursday night right before kickoff, so we will see where that game heads, but I am super excited. Uh, this episode, I am, as you can tell, uh, flying solo had a late cancellation for a guest. So I'm going to be rocking this by myself. I do want to encourage you guys to be listening to both episodes. Um, if you're into the college to Canton format, which of course you are, if you're into DFS uh, for college, if you're into Devi or college fantasy leagues, you really need to be catching both these. Travis has done just an absolutely incredible job uh, prepping everyone for all things, college fantasy, Devi and just understanding who who we should be paying attention to on the college football side of things his episode earlier this week kind of talked about some performers who came out of nowhere other big names that have disappointed it's been really fun uh, just listening along uh, we we one of the things that he went into that i really enjoyed was kind of looking at the old miss game uh, i think all of us are kind of curious what receiver is going to pop there uh, he mentioned some of the some of the big names mingo and drummond Uh, Who who did well, but of course my boy Braylon Brown uh, has not played yet. The freshman, uh, expecting to see him later this year, and when he does, you better believe I will be plugging him into as many DFS lineups as possible. Uh, Before we uh, dive into the show, I just want to give you a quick rundown of what you can expect um, moving forward. I, I want to spend some time uh, looking into some of the NFL stuff as, as Travis is focusing on college. But you better believe I'm going to be uh, doing a little bit of both. But for today's episode, I want to talk to all of you degenerates that still play in kicker leagues. Uh, I know there's a lot of you out there, especially your home leagues. I know a lot of the people listening to this podcast, you're, you're in some really deep, crazy, weird leagues, much like Travis and myself, where you're rostering 45 college players. Some of you are even rostering high school players. I get it. You're, you're insane. But most of us also play in a work league we're a home league where we're starting defenses, we're starting kickers. And as much craziness and volatility as can happen with that position, there is a strategy that you can use to take advantage of, to kind of give you a leg up, pun intended, puns are always intended, um, on on your league mates when you have to roster a kicker. So we're gonna get into that. And then I wanna spend some time just telling you what to watch for in, in week one of the NFL. As we move forward this season, I'm gonna be... Towards the end of each episode, just doing a little um, do not cut list for you guys, players that I think uh, you should be holding on to because of some of the, you know, analytical or data driven reasons where the average fan, the casual watcher might be like, hey, this guy's not producing, I'm going to go ahead and drop him so that I can get a, you know, head start on my waiver wire and pick up the next hot new hotness. Um, But a lot of times people end up cutting people that are going to be very useful in the future. So we'll be doing a do not cut list. I used to write this article for Rotoviz, but with now hosting two shows a week, as well as all the other things in life, um, no longer writing that, that that article. So I'll be talking about that here at the end of every show. So be sure to stick around to the end to listen to that. But, but I'm going to kind of give you a heads up on some of the things I'm looking for in week one that will determine who I'm dropping, who I'm keeping, what lineup decisions I might be making in the future, what players I might want to target in trades, and what players I'm definitely going to avoid. So we're definitely going to go into that. We're going to talk a little bit about running backs and wide receivers. Not really going to get into the uh, quarterback or tight end position today. Uh, really going to focus on those others. So so that's kind of what you can expect for the show. It's going to be a little bit shorter than usual because I am rolling solo. And as you can tell, I'm already struggling a little bit. The mouth is dry. I, I need someone to, to pass it over to. But I don't have anyone here with me. So I'm going to pass it over to the commercial break. And on the other side, I'm going to tell you what you can do to take advantage of all of your league mates in your kicker-friendly leagues. All right. We'll be right back.
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall
2: guy. That's what the poster said.
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy.
2: Trying to make it out?
1: Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
2: All right, we're back. Thank you so much for sticking around. A couple months ago, I had Jake Seeley on the podcast, on the Other podcasts I do, the College Football Fantasy podcast. And it was a great conversation. But one of the things we were kind of joking about in the beginning was our very different stance on kicker leagues. So Jake talked about, and he he has a whole article written about it that is really good, just the petition. He has a petition to ban kickers from fantasy leagues. um, And he makes the point that kickers are impossible to really predict from a season-long production standpoint. And what's interesting is that I actually completely agree with that take. However, we don't get to determine, for the most part, if we get to play with kickers or not in a lot of our leagues. I, in my home league, the league I've been in the longest, each year I put it to a vote to get rid of kickers, and each year the vote does not pass, and we remain playing with kickers. So while that is completely true, I think that not being able to predict season-long production is the exact reason why you can get an advantage. So what I do on draft day is I do not draft a kicker. Instead, I use that roster spot for any running back available, anyone with a pulse that could see some action. And a great example this year would be a guy like Tyson Williams, who I have on so many rosters because he was absolutely free. And then we saw the injury to jk dobbins and all of a sudden he becomes a waiver wire target this same concept of waiting on kickers on the dra- on draft day can be used every single week so what i do in my kicker leagues is when i go to set my waiver wire priorities whether it's fab or just you know getting in line with my number i don't worry about which player i'm going to drop i know i will automatically drop my kicker no matter what This saves me the headache of worrying about dropping a backup running back or receiver who I'd really like to roster, but feel the need to to make space to to get whichever waiver wire ad I am excited about that week. So what I do, I drop my kicker. It gives me a free roster space to play with. Then as the week progresses, I'm able to buy myself a little bit of time to determine what I'm going to do with the kicker position and who I need to drop. And usually by the time Saturday night rolls around, I have a pretty good idea of which player is irrelevant for that week, or someone's been added to the IR late in the week, and I can move them into my IR slot, opening up the availability to pick up that kicker. So enjoy that freedom that the kicker spot gives you to drop kickers. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Why in the world am I going to just drop my kicker? That's going to leave me at a complete disadvantage on the week because I'm going to get screwed. However, streaming kickers is extremely viable. I also used to write a kicker streaming article every week. I know, I know. I'm a real degenerate, but it was a winning strategy. and It was actually a really fun article to write. I'm just not going to have time. So instead of writing this article every week, I just want to spend a couple minutes here telling you how to determine what kicker you should aim for? The formula for success is actually quite simple. Uh, what you want to do is you want to go and find teams that have high Vegas point totals. Don't just look at the game totals, look at the implied team totals and target the teams that have the highest ones on the week. Then you also want to look at high-passing yardage offenses and combine them, if possible, with teams that have poor red zone production rates. You can find all of this online pretty easily, and it gives you (laughs) a really easy formula for trying to figure out which kicker to use. As a tiebreaker, sure, use the individual kicker accuracy rates, but honestly, a kicker's skill level is typically less predictive than these other measurements that we're looking at when we're just looking at fantasy points scored. As the season progresses, we'll have more information available, and it'll become easier to kind of to see What we're going to do, things like fourth down tendencies are elements that we can add to our formula, a team like the Seahawks that typically doesn't like to go for it on fourth down very often because uh, coach Pete Carroll is pretty conservative, ends up being a nice target because they often have pretty good passing numbers. So you have your high pass yardage offense, and they're often in these high scoring games recently as their defense has declined over the years. So they end up being a nice team to target for kicker. And believe it or not, because a lot of people just look at the kicker position as a set it and forget it, there are often very good options available on the waiver wire. So I really do recommend using this strategy when looking at kickers. Of course, if you find like last year, my week one target uh, was Rodrigo Blankenship. He was like only 20% owned. And, you know, you could have held on to him forever if you want to do, and he would have been great for you. But by by all means, highly recommend streaming the kicker position. Okay, that's enough about kickers. I'm sorry, um, all of you fell asleep. And I apologize, let's get back into it. Let's look at what to watch for in NFL week number one. And I want to start with the running back position because let's face it, fantasy football, that's what we care about, first and foremost, running backs. And the two thing, the two guys I'm, I'm looking at, Um, initially are the guys that have been injured for a lot of the preseason and we've been kind of unsure of what to expect. I'm looking at Saquon Barkley and DeAndre Swift. I want to see their involvement in their respective offenses and kind of figure out what we can do with them, what we can expect going forward. I'll be honest. Um, I'm starting both of them this week. I I've got no qualms with it. I feel pretty confident that they're going to be good enough. I am a little nervous about Denver's defense for Saquon, but come on, you drafted him in the first round. Uh, if you have him, I, I, I'm i going to plug and play him, but I'm curious to see what he looks like to see how healthy he is after missing so much of last year and not practicing a lot this this offseason. The other guys I'm looking at, just kind of uh, regardless of you know their, their team involvement, is just some of the rookies. Um, I'm curious to see what Michael Carter does, what kind of involvement he has in the offense, what Tevin Coleman is doing up there with the New York Jets to see if he's in there on third downs, to see if they trust him as they're pass-catching and run-blocking back. If he's getting many carries to, to begin with, I'll be very interested. Of course, Javante Williams is the other guy that I'm really curious about. Uh, Melvin Gordon was really <laughs> sneaky good last year, and I think he set up for another good year this year. Melvin Gordon had over 50% snap percentage in, in most games, and, and most of them he was up over uh, over 65%. So if Javante Williams comes out and sees anything more than 35%, which is about what Philip Lindsay would get on a good week um, if when Melvin Gordon was in there, if Javante Williams gets more than 35% snap share with Melvin Gordon healthy, I will be dancing. I will be absolutely ecstatic and consider Javante Williams' breakout in the NFL um, as imminent. I think it's going to happen regardless regardless this year, uh, like many people do most of us are kind of projecting that it happens towards the back half of the year. But if he he gets up over that 35%, it could be coming sooner than later. All right, let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens, another backfield that has, I mean, I already mentioned the J.K. Dobbins incident uh, with him being out for the year. Now we've got Gus Edwards as the main guy, and of course, Tyson Williams, and then the signing of Lev Bell, Of course, Justice Hill is injured too. So two big injuries. I'm curious what's going to happen. If we look at what took place last year, it's interesting that the overall rushing market share within one game, uh, no running back at one point saw more than 80% of the rushes in one game. In fact, if you look at the snap share percentage uh, for last year, Dobbins was at 44.4%. Edwards was at 33.7%. And Mark Ingram was at 15.9 almost 16%. So between Dobbins and Edwards, it was almost, you know, not not split evenly between the two, but it was pretty close. Gus Edwards was getting in there a lot. A third of the time he was in there. I'm curious to see what this looks like with this running back core moving forward. Are they going to rely more on Gus Edwards and Tyson uh, kind of get sprinkled in here a little bit? Or is it going to be just Baltimore Ravens football as usual, where they're really trying to rotate their running backs quite a bit. I really want to see this. The other thing I'm really curious about is what kind of overall target share the running backs get. Now, one game sample sizes can be tricky. The game against Vegas is on the road, but Baltimore's favor. So game script wise, they might not have to throw much. I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, Two years ago, running backs saw 14% 14% 14% of the uh, overall market share of targets. And last season was up to 15.8%. So a minor increase in, in the target share seen to running backs. I'm just curious to see what that looks like in in, in the beginning of the season. Um, by no means do I expect there to be a, a huge involvement of the running backs. But you never know. We've seen a lot of injury injured receivers out there in Baltimore as well as those running backs. But Sammy Watkins apparently is ready to go. Hollywood Brown is ready to go. So, so maybe it's business as usual for the receivers. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm, I'm really going to be honed in on this Baltimore Ravens backfield though, because I think there's a lot of points to be had from this position. I'm just curious if it's going to be spread between two or three backs or if Gus Edwards is the main man, uh, with there not being a whole lot of depth behind him. The next place I want to look is San Francisco to see what they do there last year on a season for for the for the season no running back had more than 28% of the rushing share now of course a lot of that is because of injuries we saw a lot of different running backs rotating through that San Francisco backfield because Mostert Jeff Wilson McKinnon none of them could stay healthy even with that being said though when Raheem Mostert was healthy at no point in, not, in, in any of the games did he have more than a 60% um, snap percentage in a game. Um, and that was week one. Week one, he had about 60%, a little bit more. Um, and then after that, he never got above 50% of the snap share. He never had more than 17 carries in a game. And in half of the games, he only saw between 11 and 15 carries. So even though Raheem Mostert was their main back last year, there was an awful Lot of room for other running backs to have production. Jeff Wilson, who you know saved a lot of people those those final two games of the season. If you were able to get him on the waiver wire, uh, he actually saw between 17 and 22 carries in a third of his games. So he was seeing on average more carries per game than Raheem Mostert was. In fact, in the final two weeks of the season, he had a 70 and 83 snap percentage uh, with over 20 carries in both those games. So now we've got Sermon there as well. So I'm super curious to see what the running back snap percentage is for San Francisco and who's getting the carries in that game. With all these guys healthy, is it Raheem Mostert or do they just not trust him to have more than those 15 carries that we usually saw with him? Do they try to get Sermon involved early? What's going to happen with this backfield? It's also really difficult because when they do switch, and I do think they will switch to Trey Lance, what will it look like then? And what do we have to go on to to kind of understand what Trey Lance's involvement in this running back backfield will look like? So if Trey Lance comes out and ends up being like a Lamar Jackson where he 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 doesn't dump it off to the to the running backs for short passes, it just takes off with his legs all the time, that could hurt some of these running backs. But then again, we also know that a mobile quarterback increases the efficiency of the running backs on that team. A great example of this actually happened um, in college this last week where Jordan Travis, the quarterback for Florida state really wasn't doing much with his arm early on. The, the Notre Dame defense was really honed in on him and you could see every time they did the kind of, RPO type stuff, they would hone in on him and and the defensive ends would fly straight to the quarterback and, and kind of ignore the running back. Well, on one play, he hands the ball off. He doesn't keep it himself. And the running back Corbin takes it for an 89 yard touchdown because they were giving so much respect to the quarterback's rushing ability. And I think the same thing could happen with Trey Lance when he enters, while there might be a slight downtick in targets for these different running backs, their efficiency will take over. And a guy like Raheem Mostert, who is just incredibly fast, could really benefit from that. All right, let's move on to Seattle, where I think we have one of the most underrated running backs in the league. Now, take this with a grain of salt. I'm a huge Seahawks guy, you know that. But let me just lay out why I think this is an interesting backfield to pay attention to. Traditionally, Pete Carroll has loved to rely on one back when they are healthy. In fact, in 2019, the last time Chris Carson played uh, pretty much a full season, he ended up with a top two, as in a top 24 performance, an RB2 performance in 87% of the games. And a lot of that was because he had a 71.5% opportunity share, an opportunity share is simply um, the rushing market share plus the target. So he had a 71.5 opportunity share, which is just absolutely insane. And he also ranked third in breakaway runs. Now, a lot of this is because there's so many weapons in Seattle, you've got DK Metcalf, you've got Tyler Lockett, you have a lot of really explosive wide receivers who can do a lot of damage deep. And so the Seahawks often see a pretty light defensive front, in fact, on 46 just over 46 percent of chris carson carry chris carson's carries that year it was against a light front so he's not having to worry about a loaded front eight men in the box nothing like that he gets a light front on almost half his carries which is why he's able to be so efficient it's interesting though that chris carson gets labeled as injury prone because in the past three seasons carson has actually played in 41 total games That's the same number as Derrick Henry. It's more than Dalvin Cook, more than McCaffrey, more than Saquon Barkley, and more than Joe Mixon. So I know those aren't aren't like the most (laughs) healthy of running backs, but I'm telling you, Chris Carson is not as out of it as you might think. I I really think this is a, a backfield to target and there's not a whole lot of depth behind him. So if you can get Chris Carson early, man, I highly recommend trying to trade for him right now before he explodes. But otherwise, uh, this backfield is one to target. If you can't acquire Chris Carson, I highly recommend if you have a deep bench, try to get Penny or DJ Dallas uh, because either one of those guys, if given the opportunity, will see the bulk of the carries and opportunity share in this backfield because it is so highly concentrated uh, that it's one that you want to target. Whoever's running the ball for Seattle, whoever's back there is going to be someone worth using. I remember last year uh, Carson was out, Penny was out, and DJ Dallas got the start, and he absolutely crushed. Uh, so you really want to you really want to focus on that because uh, the the way that offense is schemed, uh, it gives a lot of opportunity for the running back. All right, let's move over to Miami. Uh, this is another one where uh, the running back Miles Gaskin saw a ton of action last year. He was 11th in opportunity share at 68% despite only playing in 10 games. So if he would have played in all 16 games, it would have absolutely smashed. Um, He had at least four targets in every single game except one. Miles Gaskins was last year the absolute definition of a workhorse or a bell cow or whatever animal you want to associate with him. The question, of course, is... What happens now that they brought in Malcolm Brown? Well, Malcolm Brown was was undrafted in 2015, and last year he had 101 carries on this season. He only had uh, double-digit carries in a quarter of his games, though. So what should we be looking for here? Well, what I want to see is I want to see what kind of snap share Miles Gaskins is going to get. Last season, in games that Miles Gaskins started, because of course he wasn't the starter coming out of the uh, preseason in games that he started in games that he he was actually like the lead back there was only one game where he had lower than 60 percent snap share so that is my key number i want to see at least 60 percent snap share for miles gaskin otherwise i want to see i mean ideally it's going to be closer to 70 but i'm telling you right now if he sees a 50 percent snap share but breaks a long one off or sneaks into the end zone and gets a touchdown, I'm still going to be worried. If his snap share is less than 50%, he is going to be a sell candidate for me because it means that Malcolm Brown is going to be, or, or Savon Ahmed, is going to be more involved in the offense than maybe we had anticipated or hoped. So check those numbers out. And of course, I'll be here to help you with with some of this next week if you're you know not wanting to look at all these snap percentages. I'll be here for you. For that, we'll go over some of this, but that's what I'm looking for. I want to see if there's a change, if there's a, a, a change in the philosophy, a change in the plan, um, the overall exact outcomes, his efficiency, the amount of touches he gets is almost secondary. I mean, obviously, we want to see him involved, but, but really, to me, it's how much is he on the field compared to the other backs. Okay, the last running back situation I want to look at before we jump over to some of the wide receiver situations is in Las Vegas. Everyone knows Kenyon Drake is in town, and everyone is scrambling and scared. And I get it. If you've been listening to me at all, you know that I am. And this feels so weird to say because I've never, I've never said these words, but any other season except for this one. But I'm, I've become a Josh Jacobs truther. And it's a very scary, lonely, isolating place. And it's not one where I feel comfortable. Everyone's nervous about what it could mean for Josh Jacobs now that Drake is in town. Even, you know, friend of the show, J.J. Zacharyson pointed out like Josh Jacobs as a fade candidate. Two years ago, Jacobs entered the NFL as a late round first pick and the first running back selected in the 2019 draft. And he had a tremendous impact for the Raiders rushing for over 1,100 yards, and over 4.8 yards per carry, which is great. He followed that up with the the following year with even more yards, but his efficiency dipped, and everyone started panicking. We didn't see the involvement in the passing game that maybe we hoped we would see, but again, you have to remember this in context. People were hoping to see Josh Jacobs become the next Ezekiel Elliott, the next Saquon Barkley, the next locked and loaded first-round running back for your fantasy drafts. And that didn't happen. And you're absolutely right. Josh Jacobs should not be drafted in the first round. But I'm telling you, in the fourth or fifth round, he is an absolute steal. And someone that I am completely confident in playing because the volume is there. In fact, even though we we are so down on his receiving acumen, he had 45 targets as a running back last year, which was 24th. amongst running backs. It's more than Jonathan Taylor. It's more than Antonio Gibson. It's even more than his new teammate, Kenyon Drake. Uh, we know that Jalen Rashard um, is out injured. Devontae Booker is no longer there. So even if Kenyon Drake soaks up some targets, there were quite a few, 44 in fact, between those two players um, that are vacated. So so even if Kenyon Drake dips into those, uh, there should still be plenty for Josh Jacobs. So what I'm looking for is any kind of involvement in the passing game to me is an absolute win. I also want to see what kind of involvement Josh Jacobs has in the red zone. Last year, um, as we all know, he led the league in red zone carries. He had 64 rush attempts inside the 20-yard line, 35 inside the 10. Both were more than any other player and and over the last two years josh jacobs ranks number eight in rushing touchdowns with 19 so even though his efficiency might not be what we want the expected points is is great in fact it, uh, his expen- expected points per game last year was 16.2 so even if drake siphons some of the volume there's plenty of floor and a lot of upside baked in to what we're doing with josh jacobs of course chris harris was on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, I guess now it was maybe a month and a half ago. And Josh Jacobs is a guy from a film perspective that he absolutely loves. If you look in the Rotoviz range of outcomes app, you can see Josh Jacobs is is really quite quite high on on that list. If you look just at the the high level of range of outcomes for Josh Jacobs, he ends up ranking as a, your RB eleven. So he really has a high ceiling, and his floor isn't that bad because he gets so much looks. So unless Kenyon Drake comes out and dominates touches, I am not going to be worried. And Josh Jacobs is someone that I think is going to be really exciting. I almost kind of hope that he he does see um, a lot of work, like a lot of carries, but is kind of inefficient with them uh, because you know Baltimore's defense is good, uh, so that I can maybe buy him on the cheap. He's going to be someone that I'll probably be looking to buy next week if he is still getting the touches that I absolutely. 100% expect him to get. All right, let's look at some of the wide receiver situations that that are intriguing to me. Uh, the first one that really jumped off uh, the page to me uh, is Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore in Carolina. I'm so curious to see what's going to happen here. And of course, we have Terrace Marshall in the mix as well. So, so what I'm curious to see is in 2019 and 2020, we really saw Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore's um, production and use in the offense completely flip upside down. So in 2019, Robbie Anderson had an average yards per target of 14.2, a team target percentage of 19%. His deep balls, um, of, so so balls that were, you know, thrown 15 yards or further, he was 17 of 43, and he had a 40th uh, finish in PPR ranks. Meanwhile, DJ Moore in, in, in 2019, in that same year, his, uh, his air yards per target were 11 lower. His team target percentage was higher. It was at 24%. And his deep balls, he was 13 of 32. So significantly less uh, deep balls. And his PPR finish was 16th. Now, if we look at 2020, it's almost the exact opposite. We saw Anderson go from 14.2 yards per target, air yards per target, excuse me, down to 9.6. While DJ Moore went from 11 up to 13.1. Robbie Anderson's target percentage increased from 19 to 26%, while DJ Moore's remained at 24. And the deep balls, this is interesting too, Robbie Anderson went from 17 of 43 to 11 to 30 of 35, while DJ Moore went from 13 of 32 to 21 of 43. So those numbers are almost exactly the same. And the big key finish to this argument is is where they ended in the ranks. So, Robbie Anderson went from 40th in 2019 to 20th in 2020, while DJ Moore went from 16th to 36th. So, the more valuable receiver in this offense is not the guy getting the deep balls. It's not the guy getting those YOLO balls. It's in fact the guy with the fewer or the lower air yards per target. So, that's what I'm going to be looking for. Which of these wide receivers is going to be in that role. Who's getting the lower air yards per target and that's the guy that I want. I kind of think it's going to be Robbie Anderson again, but you never know. So so let's keep an eye out for that and see where we can take advantage having this little insight of information. The next place I'm going is Tampa Bay. And before I I get into this, I want to talk a little bit about targets per route run or TPRR and Jacob Gibbs Um, did a nice write up on this and he says TPRR correlates more highly with fantasy scoring in 2020 than any other opportunity based stat. So he looked at um, players that had 60 targets or more and he found that the correlation between targets per route and fantasy points per route was 0.817 which was much better of an indicator than the correlation between raw targets and raw fantasy points which was 0.763. So from his, so again, this is Jacob Gibbs. From his research, he found that targets per routes run um, correlates really well with fantasy points. Now, of course, this doesn't take into account just like the overall routes run, right? Because like if you're targeted on 80% of your routes, but you only run 10 routes, that's not going to be nearly as beneficial as someone running a crap ton of routes. So, So that is important context. But when you look at Tampa Bay it's really interesting to see what takes place. Antonio Brown had a 26.2 TPRR, while Godwin and Evans were both in that 19.1 and 19.3 range. Brown would have ranked eighth overall in the NFL, but he was just shy of of the qualifying number of 300 targets uh, that this study used. Uh, Meanwhile, Godwin and Evans were 60th and 61st so you can see that when these guys are all on the field antonio brown is getting targeted at a higher rate per routes run than these other guys i really want to see what takes place in this tampa bay game again kickoffs in an hour uh, for me, it's already happened now. Maybe I look like a complete idiot because Antonio Brown was out there for every play and got zero targets. But but I highly anticipate that we see more of this. Antonio Brown, let, let's not forget that he was the premier wide receiver in the NFL for quite some time before he had some of those off-field issues. I, I know you guys probably already know that, but when all of these guys were on the field together, Antonio Brown was the highest target of the three. I want to see what happens Thursday night with Tampa Bay's wide receiver room I have been targeting Antonio Brown like crazy this offseason because of this. And again, if he's getting targeted heavily tonight um, it, compared to like the the, right, the routes he runs, if we see a high TPRR for him tonight compared to those other two, he's going to be the one I'm targeting in trades. Uh, so, so you better believe I'm going to be looking at this. I, I want to next go over, uh, let's go back to Seattle. I know we're talking about them a lot, but hey, uh, that's what you get when you listen to a podcast with, with yours truly. Seattle is a super interesting place to look at four wide receivers. And the reason why, like the same way their running backs uh, really get a ton of opportunity, like one running back gets a lot of work, uh, their passing game is also funneled to two players in particular. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf combined for a 48.7% target share, but that was 80% of all wide receivers. Uh, You may or may not know this, but Seattle is only carrying four wide receivers on the roster so you got dk tyler and then you've got freddie swain and rookie d eskridge um, who somehow is just about as old as me Uh, not really he's just an old rookie anyway um, i'm curious to see if this holds up last year overall 61.6 percent of the targets overall went to wide receivers but like i said the bulk of those 80 percent of those were just to those two wide receivers, uh, DK and Tyler Lockett. Both of them saw uh, around 130 targets and both of them ranked in the upper quarter in targets per routes run. So both of these guys are absolutely interesting. However, I'm curious to see uh, because Seattle does run a three wide receiver set uh, 61.7% of the time, which is pretty high. Um, I'd love to see what this means for the wide receiver three on this offense because there could be some gain. Last year we saw David Moore have a pretty decent year overall. He ended up the year with six touchdowns. That's that's nothing uh nothing to sneeze at. That's a weird expression. Um but you know what I mean. He's he's someone that is um you know no longer on the team and if Eskridge or Freddie Swain um, can carve out that wide receiver three role that could be relevant um, not only if Tyler Lockett or DK gets hurt, but especially just in general as as a as a nice floor play in a in a three wide receiver or as a as a flex. So so something to look at with the the high percentage of three wide receiver sets used and the the number of targets or or the percentage of targets that go to the wide receiver position. Of course a lot of this has to do with what we see happen with Gerald Everett. How much involvement does he have in the offense or will Disley for that matter, uh, who has been forgotten? It seems like, but I think could be interesting. The last wide receiver room that I'm really curious about is what is going to happen with the Miami dolphins. Uh, will Fuller is suspended for this first game. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens there. Devonte Parker is going to be in there, but what happens with Jalen Waddle, um, Preston Williams and others there. So, I'm really curious to see what happens in Miami. It could be a low-key exciting offense if Tua is any good at all. Of course, they have a really difficult matchup this week against New England, uh, but what I'm looking for is I want to see what kind of sets they come out. Last year, they were in a two-wide receiver set 33% of the time, which was actually pretty high uh, compared to most teams. And they were in a three wide receiver set 52.8% of the time. So the things I want to see is how often they're in three wide receiver sets. And the reason why is because if they are still in two wide receiver sets fairly often, between Gesecki, Parker, Will Fuller in the future, and Waddle, it's gonna be pretty hard uh for, for for some of these guys to to really pop for fantasy football. I really want to see their three wide receiver sets increase a little bit. Um so that we can determine if there's going to be enough volume to go around with a quarterback that last year wasn't super efficient. So Miami is the last place that I'm really going to see. Um, Again, it's not so much about the players this week because Will Fuller is out, but I really want to see how often they're in those three wide receiver sets and where Waddle is. Are they using him in the slot? Are they using him outside? Uh, because I think if, 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 if utilized well, I think Waddle could really be um, a pretty exciting, pretty fun option, especially for DFS. So there we have it. Those are some things I'm watching for um, in week one. As I said, I'm going to end the show with a do not cut list. Don't cut any rookies after week one outside of injuries. It always takes rookies a little bit of time to get going. Justin Jefferson didn't get going for a while last year. Uh, It just takes some time. So please be patient. Don't rush to any crazy decisions. If you have a kicker, there you go. Cut them to pick up your favorite waiver wire target. But remember, patience Uh, can be really important early on in the season. I know there will be injuries. Players will become exciting. Someone will pop on a depth chart that you really want to add. But be patient. Don't be the guy that drops Nick Chubb from years back, Justin Jefferson from last year, whoever it might be. You don't want to be the guy dropping the rookie because they don't see that early season production. You're going to want to hold fast. Guys like Michael Carter, who may not get out the door quickly, will see their value increase as the season goes by, and you will much rather have him on your roster, riding your bench for a couple weeks, than having to drop all your fab later in the year to pick him up. All right, that's it for me. I'm excited to be back with you guys next week. I'll have a guest uh, with me, so you don't have to listen to me drone on and on. Um, but we've got football right now. I'm gonna go grab a beverage. Sit down, watch some Tampa Bay, Dallas, and just enjoy it. And then get ready for week one of the NFL. I can't believe it's here. I'm super excited. I look forward to getting into it all with you. Please do, uh, before you go, uh, rate and review the podcast. Uh, Follow along, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, Follow Travis and myself on Twitter. Again, you can find me at Stay Fun StayFunLaco and Travis is at FF underscore Travis M. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back with you um, on Tuesday or Wednesday with Travis's episode, and then I'll be back with you next Friday. Can't wait. Have a great weekend.